Well, tonight on the Honky Tonk Time Machine, it is my honor and privilege to be able to talk to an artist who is celebrating his 60th year in the music business. And during that time, he's charted more than 75 singles, 23 top 10 hits, six number ones, and oh yeah, five number ones on the gospel charts as well. Gene Watson is with us tonight. Gene, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, I appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing great, Gene. I, I always say I got the coolest job in the world. I get to talk to my heroes, and tonight's no different. I know you're pretty busy out on the road. You got a stop in Marion, Illinois this Saturday. That's kind of the reason we're talking to you. Where are you out of the tour? Are you still pretty early on? Or? Well, it's kind of in the middle, you might say. <laughs> uh, just about all of them's in the middle. We're we're starting out at the, at the Grand Ole Opry, of course, on the the classic country night Thursday night, and uh, they're honoring me and uh, and my new release of uh, Outside the Box, our new CD. And then we we hit the road pretty hard. We're going on to Bowling Green, and I think to Marion. And uh, after that, it's back forth, back forth. You know? Yeah, and then I think you're going to Branson on Monday. I think I saw that on your schedule too. Well, yeah, see, you know more about my schedule than I do. Well, I did try to look ahead, and, 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 and that's close by to us, too. So that's a couple of chances for people here in our area to go see you, uh, either in Marion, Illinois, or in, or in Branson on Monday. Now, for this Marion show, there's a whole lot of people here that are just dying to see you this weekend. We're certainly looking forward to coming back up there and, and, and having a good time. Got a lot of fans around there we're looking forward to working to. Uh, working to. What's the Gene Watson show looking like these days? What can we expect, Gene? Well... You know, we try to mix in uh, some of the old, some of the new, everything between, and and uh, you know, just day by day living, which is a comedy act in itself. <laughs> but uh, we we take it from love and hot afternoon, plumb on up through. We'll be doing the latest thing from the brand new album, and uh, and trying our best to answer some requests, and, and and just trying our best to do what fans want to hear. That new album, Outside the Box, just came out on September sixteenth. I want to spend more time talking about that here in just a few minutes, but I don't want to let any more time going by without congratulating you on your recent induction into the Grand Ole Opry. Now, that happened in 2020, so it's been a couple years, but we haven't talked to you since then. Congratulations. I know that was a big honor for you. It was. It was an outstanding honor, and and, and as far as talking to me since then, didn't a whole lot of people talk to me since then because right after they made me a member, uh, of course, COVID hit. And I mean, we we were grounded like over fourteen months, and and uh, so as far as all the immediate celebrations, well, there wasn't that much of it, you know. But we're trying to make up for it now, and, and uh, uh, we're so proud to be honored with you know the induction, and, and uh, just look forward to doing the Opry a, a whole lot in the future. The great Vince Gill extended the invitation to you. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. and uh, that was the uh, that was the hardest I've ever been blindsided right there. <laughs> uh, of course, he didn't give it to me for nothing. He traded out. You know, he wanted me to. to he said that they'd offer that to me if I'd do farewell party. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. it's it's so strange. And I had just got through doing three songs that are pretty pretty hard to sing. You know, uh, and then he wants to do farewell party, and that's probably. Probably the worst performance of my life on that song, but you know I was thrilled to death. Everybody was thrilled. The house just really came alive, and, and uh, just standing up, and it's it's a time that I'll never forget. Well, Dean, I would have bet money that you were already in it. I, I was surprised that uh, 2020 was the year that they first inducted you. I, I would have thought you were in already. What uh, what took them so long? <laughs> well, you know, a lot and a lot of people were the same way. Uh, a lot of people thought I was a member, but 
you know, I, I go back far enough that when you were obligated to do it so many times a month and and everything, and, and, and they offered me concessions, you know, as far as what I could do and what I couldn't do, but I, I declined because I didn't think it would be fair to the Grand Ole Opry, you know, being the tradition that it is. And, and, and then I figured that, well, maybe I've done the wrong thing and I'd missed my chance, but Thank goodness, you know they they kept on and came back to me and and uh, and of course my, my one of my my singing partner Rhonda Vincent they inducted her right behind me and and so it, it makes it you know feel real good for both of us to get on there and perform. Yeah, we love Rhonda around here. She's a she's a Missouri girl, the queen of bluegrass, and uh, she, she she's fantastic. She's on your new album too, isn't she? Yes, we've got a bonus track on the album with uh, with her and myself on a song there uh, called I've Got One of Those Two. And there's another bonus track on there featuring me and the great Willie Nelson. That's right. And I understand that you had never recorded with Willie before you got together for this album. I never had. No, I never had. In fact, it was something that uh, I just figured wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Paula, his daughter, you know, Willie's Roadhouse, called me and and, and talked to me about it and everything and told me that how much he really appreciated my music and, and, and gave me his number. And she said, I'm sure that he'd really appreciate hearing from you. So I called him and, and we, we got to know each other over the phone. I mean, I had met him and worked with him and all that, but I never, you know, one-on-one really met him. And, and, uh, and we got together and talked about recording and, and, uh, and he said, well, which one would you like to do? And I said, well, that's a song you wrote a few years back called wonderful future. He said, I'm in. He said, let's do it. <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's how quickly we got the okay on it. So what was the actual recording process like then? Was it everything you hoped it would be? Well, him busy on the road, me busy on the road, too. I laid my tracks down in Nashville, and uh, we sent the files to uh, to Texas and uh, to Willie's engineer, and they put his vocal on down there. And so as far as singing together, we've never done that before, but we are on record together. <laughs> The, you the, know, through the modern-day electronics and yeah, everything. So, the magic of editing. Uh, you got to love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I really think it turned out good. I'm so thrilled to have it out, and uh, people seem to like it. Uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, we get together and, and do something else. The album is Outside the Box. The song with Willie, it's called Wonderful Future. And then the song with Rhonda's called I Got One of Those Two. And you can uh, pick up that, that album now. It is uh, available today. And, you know, you've had such a, a, a great career, Gene. When you hear something from Willie saying, man, one of my big regrets is I never recorded with Gene, even though you've had this great career and a lot of honors, that's still got to feel pretty darn good that he said that. Yeah, it, it really surprised me. It kind of took my breath away, you know, because – the the two the two biggest you know uh, things that that had happened to him in his career that he hated you know was the the time he got invited to to come to visit with Frank Sinatra you know and hang out with him and and he, of course he was on the road so he loaded up and left went on tour and didn't get to and he said and he told Paula this I didn't know that Paula told me said that his his second biggest regret was uh, not uh, coming over and doing a, a duet with me when he had the chance. Wow. He, he was too busy or something, whatever. Anyway, it didn't happen, and he said that was his second biggest regret in his career, and that was uh, extremely flattering to me. 
you made the top of the list with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> That's hey, cool. man, I'm right up there with old blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the only one who holds you in high regard. I've I've done this show for uh, going on three years now. I've talked to somewhere around 100 different artists, and I typically talk to like that 90s era, Tracy Lawrence and, and those those guys. And I know you were just on Tracy's show, Honky Tonkin', but they all kind of tell me the same thing. They they usually mention your name as people that they look up to. But as somebody who's been around for a while longer than those guys, I want to know who's on your list of favorite singers. Well, I mean, you know, I was probably no different from just about all of them. I, I, as a kid, when I was growing up, I, I used to listen to, to Lefty a lot. You know, I thought that Lefty was ahead of his time and and uh but but i but i listened to all of them that was back when you know they had the weekly hit parade on the radio and, and man i had my ear stuck to it every week and and i listened to you know of course you had to listen to hank williams he was all over the radio mm-hmm. but i was i was elected for sale man you know baron young carl smith webb pierce all those guys and i tried my best to uh maybe you know rob a little bit from each one of them you know when in my singing and Finally, I gave up on that and started singing, and I guess that's where Gene Watson came from. Well, I'm glad you did because you have one of the best voices ever in country music, and I'm not just saying that. Not too many can top Gene Watson when it comes to just the pure voice. And then you blend that with your musical ability, you know, playing the guitar, things of that nature. That wasn't something you had right away. I've heard you tell the story that you learned to play guitar because you got tired of asking your older sister to play for you. Is that right? Oh, embarrassing. Yeah, embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But, But, you know... I mean, I I just uh, I never had taken the time to try to play guitar, and then that, the older I got, well, the more embarrassing it got to have to ask her to play for me. So I just kind of started learning myself. I drove everybody crazy until yeah, until I got to where I could you know do my own guitar playing. You know, and going back to maybe one of the reasons you weren't in the Opry sooner is the fact that you were able to kind of establish yourself without ever actually having to move to Nashville full time. That that's probably hard to do i would think how were you able to have such a great career without actually ever making the making the move well that you know i guess that's part of the mystique i don't know i i was always sort of a renegade you know i guess you could say i i, I wanted to i wanted to sing i wanted to perform wanted to record but i wanted to do it my way otherwise it wouldn't have meant you know that much to me and uh so i, I figured me living in texas didn't hinder my singing ability that much. And so, uh, as it turned out, we would go to Nashville and record and I would record. I've always had the freedom to pick and choose my own material. And, and so I would round up the songs that I wanted to sing. And, and it, it never took me a long time to record. I mean, when I went in the studio, I mean, boom, I knocked them out, you know, and, 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 uh, things were, maybe a little bit different for me if i'd have been in nashville it might have been easier but i come from the era where they called it paying your dues you know and and so i i had to get out there and sort of kick out the spotlights you know and, and footlights and all that and, and and do the jobs i mean I, I earned my way into the into the stage area and and so i figured it was no different when i went to recording i, I figured the only place to do it was nashville and and that's where you know, that's where I wound up, and I'm just so thankful that, that you know, I was green as the grass when I started all this. I didn't know that much, and I didn't have anybody telling me what to do or how to do it, and, and I just kind of had to learn on my own, and uh, thank God I had enough fans that loved my music and supported me until I finally developed a, enough track record that, 
you know, people were paying attention to me. And of course, uh, nineteen in in the in the late seventies uh, and early eighties. Well, I mean, I really, really started laying down a you know a track record and and uh, and had a, a lot of great results. And and it, and it's just lingered on, you know. And and I'm so thankful to you guys that that play the records and also to the fans because if not for them, there wouldn't be no shows. There wouldn't be no no big chart records or anything like that. I mean, the fans are what makes it happen, you know. Yeah, and they keep showing up for you, don't they? Oh, they do. And, and, and you know, even more lately, and I, and I don't know whether it's because there's fewer of us out there, but, uh, man, we're, we're packing houses and everything like that. The people are really coming out, and, 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 and we're so thankful uh, that, that they are because that's what keeps me driving. I mean, uh, you know, I've been out here, cel- I'm celebrating 60 years, and we just got a brand-new uh, album released, and, and I'm already, you know, uh, trying to think up, you know, the next one. So uh, I don't have any intention of, of slowing down or stopping. As long as, as long as those fans are backing me up, uh, I'm here, you know. How much has changed for you in those 60 years, Gene? I mean, I, I'm 36 years old. I was able to visit Nashville. I feel like I was pretty lucky to visit right before it started getting like really corporate the way it is now. And I was still able to experience some of that mystique. Anybody younger than me might not get to experience that as much. And I'm sure you got to experience it a whole lot more than I did in your 60 years doing this. Can you put into words how much it's changed over the years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, you know, the biggest change is, uh, and, and, and and I don't mean this in a bad way, but you don't have to be that good to make a perfect record nowadays, you know, with the with the electronics and and all the engineering ability and all that, Pro Tools and everything. If you can get close, they can make a perfect record on you. Mm-hmm. What they can't do is make the emotion, the feeling. They can't lay the groove down. And and the way they record nowadays is they, I call it, you know, running a hard drive around the block, putting the guitar on in St. Louis and putting the piano on and in Los Angeles, and you know, like that. And when they get through, well, they've recorded uh, the world, and then they start dissecting what they don't need. Now, the way I record is old school, exactly the way I started out. Uh, we book a session. I go in the studio. I want, I want every one of those players in there with me. And, uh, and when I'm laying them tracks down with a vocal, I want them musicians to be playing for me because of the inspiration. I mean, I inspire the players, and, 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 and they inspire me. And and so I'm. I agree. I'm. I'm still old school, but it, it's how I learned how. It's it, it's how I make it work. And 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 the new modern time has passed that by. You know, there's so many easier ways to do it, uh, but that's their way, and and I've got mine. A lot of the soul and some of that older music was the fact that that some of those imperfections in the recordings were left in there. Uh, you, you don't see that much anymore, although there are some artists that are starting to leave those in again. But uh, it, it's it's almost too overly edited nowadays, too clean. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. And, you know, I've, I've got songs out there that I hope a lot of people don't know but me. But, I mean, I, I've, I've said the wrong word, you know, and, and, and let it fly because the track was so, you know, in tune and so in the groove and what we wanted uh, that it was close enough. You know, one little mishap like that, people weren't going to notice it. Uh, but I've got all kinds of imperfections in a lot of my old recordings and everything. I, I mean, I try to clean them up all I can, you know, and everything. But, hey, when you're singing from the heart and you're trying to get a point across, 
uh, that's the main thing right there. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to lose that 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 sense of just being genuine and 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 being real. Absolutely. How close were you with uh, some of the other great singers uh, of your generation, Gene? The the Merles, the the George Jones of the world. Did you run with them quite a bit? Well, after I had a couple of hits under my belt, yeah, we we played quite a few shows. I remember one one tour that George and I was on, and and we worked like eighteen shows in twenty days from one side of Canada to the next. And and that was pretty trying, but I'll tell you what, old Gene went to school every time I got on that stage, you know, with George. I mean, I learned something, and, and I took it to heart. And uh, as far as Merle, uh, I've, I've, I've worked, you know, on the microphone with Merle. I've sang harmony with Bonnie Owens behind Merle. And, it, you know, and, and I worship every every instance that I got to do that, you know. It just meant so much to me because uh, you're talking about my heroes there, and, and – uh, and, and Ray Price, one of the guy that I admired so much, so very much, and we got to work, you know, during his last days. We got to work several shows with him, and and these are highlights of my not only career but of my life too. You know that I'll I'll never forget. Sometimes they warn you not to meet your heroes. Uh, how did they treat you? Did they treat you okay? You know, I've always I've always had open doors to their bus. They've had open doors to mine. And like when me and Merle would work together, either I would go over to his bus or he'd come over to mine. But we always talked before the shows, you know, at least for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour just to, you know, kick the old ball around. And and uh, I wouldn't take for that because it's the offstage time you get to spend with these people where you really get to appreciate them. I love to hear that. I, I really do. And, and, you know, George Jones, he was known for, for missing shows, you know, quite often. No show Jones. <laughs> You told Tracy a story that uh, you almost missed a show one time in Pennsylvania. I wondered if you could share that with us. <laughs> yeah, it was in West Grove, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, I got my dates mixed up, and and, uh, and I was in my hometown, Paris, and I was just having a big old time, you know. And my road manager called me, and he said, man, where you at? I told him. He said, well, you better do something, because they were on the bus, and they were almost to the job. And Long story short, I, I chartered a plane, come pick me up at a little old rinky-dink airport here in Paris, Texas, and flew me to West Grove. And, oh, man, it was something. They didn't even have a, a paved runway. And we landed, and I hitchhiked a ride from the airport over to the venue, which was an outside gig. And uh, I hitched a ride with a lady who was a helicopter instructor. <laughs> and she was training a man out of line. She left him standing on the ground. And took me on over to the venue and let me out. <laughs> you had to it talk. Was not funny to me. <laughs> you had to talk her into it, though, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I told. Her, I said, "You just gonna have to wait." <laughs> well, but you got there and you and you you made it on stage in time, though. I did. I walked right straight from the helicopter to the stage, and the guys had just got up there and was opening the show. And I went on stage with a pair of cutoffs, and a t-shirt, <laughs> sunshades, and tennis shoes. <laughs> oh man. That's why I love doing this show, Gene. So many stories like that have been told uh, over the last couple of years of doing the show. And you got 60 years in the business. I'm sure you got so many of those and, and just great memories to look back on. I've been a long way around that cup looking for the handle, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk some songs real quick, Gene. Uh, 1975, big breakthrough. You, you mentioned it, Love in the Hot Afternoon. I know you were uh, a little bit worried about the lyrics for the time. Well, the song had been recorded several times before I recorded it. Uh, it was written by Vince Matthews and Kent Westbury. And uh, it had been recorded several times by other people, but they had changed, altered the lyric, 
you know, some because it, it was a little a little racy, you know, for that time. And I, and I cut that song in 1974, and I was kind of worried about it. But I told my manager, I said, you know, I want to cut the song, but I'm gonna cut it just like it was written. And and uh, and we, I thought, well, we may not get played, you know. But you know, we had extremely good luck with it. Uh, I didn't hear it, really. I didn't hear it, but one radio station that didn't play the song, mm-hmm. and and. Believe it or not, it was a local uh, Texas station that didn't play it, and and uh, I mean I, I see their point, but it didn't keep the song from making uh, getting me a major recording contract and and uh, finished the year nineteen seventy five number four, you know. So yeah, number I four, was proud of that. Number four overall for the entire year, yeah. It, yeah, despite yeah. not making it to number one, and the I think the only reason it didn't get to number one was because just the timing of different stations playing it at different times, right? Well, see, the, the record was released down here in South Texas in the Houston area, and it, which covers Dallas and all of that, which is a main, main market. And it had already been released down here. And in fact, it had already been a hit. Then when Capital picked it up, of course, they reissued it, and, uh, and they shipped it nationally. And, and it went on up, and, and what did it go to, number three or four? I don't yeah. remember, but... It had already been number one, you know, in, in one of the biggest markets uh, in the business, which covers uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, you know, New Mexico, Arkansas, all through there. It had already been number one. So it kind of it kind of hurt it in the long run, but it still finished a, a great song for yeah. me. Kick-started your career, and, and, and you were off and running from there. A uh, few others I want to mention. Paper Rosie, 1977. You got that from Canadian singer Dallas Harms and uh, – it, it wasn't one that was that interested you too much at first. It had to grow on you. Is that right? Yeah. It, well, I, I, it just didn't. I didn't get it. You know, uh, I, I didn't like the way it was uh, put together. I, there's, there's several things, and you know, you get these gut feelings, and 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 I, I, it just didn't do anything for me. But the song was brought back for me to record by Mr. Frank Jones, who was head of the country division at the Capitol in Nashville, and. And he loved the song. He was Canadian himself. And uh, so I cut it once and left the studio and, and thought I was through with it. But I, <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> he, he, he got in touch with me and, and, uh, and kind of impressed upon my mind. He said, I think you're going there with a little different outlook on things, you know. And, and uh, he said, I think this can be a big record for you. So, and he was right. Again, I went back in the studio and we changed a few things and added a few things and and I left there feeling good about it. I knew it was a great record. I didn't know how big a record it was going to be, but it, it was a number one song, too. So you're saying maybe you didn't quite give it your all that first time through, huh? No, I had to change my attitude quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good thing, because Paper Rosie, it, it went on to be absolutely huge. huge. You did. They'd crucify me if I didn't do that at the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Farewell Party. I just read this. I didn't know this, so it's not like I just had this knowledge. But little Jimmy Dickens did Farewell Party first? Oh, a lot of people done it first. Yeah. I was one of the last ones to do it. Uh, yeah, Billy Walker did it. Uh, 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 shoot, Johnny Bush did it. The first time I ever heard it, it I heard it off of an RCA Camden a- album, a long play album, you know, vinyl, by Waylon Jennings. Yeah, there's another one. That was the first time I ever heard the song. And, and I fell in love with the song I I didn't care for his production the way he done it that much, but I thought it was just a fantastic song. And I, actually, I started doing it 
in, in nightclubs and places where I worked, and the people just, just loved it. Everybody thought it was real sad and morbid and all that, but uh, they loved the song, you know, and, and uh, I, I couldn't get it off my mind. So I really never got the chance to record that song. We were we were doing a session in Nashville, and, and we had we'd been out of time. We had about 20 minutes left on the clock and you can't you can't cue one up and get it ready and going and lay it down and you know so i told the guy i said i didn't want to do this anyway so we're going to do it and and i got down on one knee in the middle of the studio at the sound emporium in nashville <laughs> they all got their chord charts out and, and put the chord progression down we heated up the mics and i got on the microphone harold bradley was the acoustic player and leader of the band and we kicked it off and what you hear on the record is exactly what we did in one one take one take that's amazing yeah. and especially when you consider that last note too that you were able to hit that in one take i remember it like yesterday harold bradley was sitting there on acoustic guitar and he turned around and looked at me like well what are we gonna do now and, and they just they went with me you know and i had no idea what i was gonna do but <laughs> it, it sure did work out for the best <laughs> so in other words what you hear on the on the record on the radio when we play it one and done. That that's how they did it the very first time, and and they kept that, and that that's what you keep hearing all these years later. That's that's really an amazing story. Yeah. Between between me and Lloyd, who played steel on Lloyd Green, between me and him and the ones that can best remember everything that happened, I think we cut that song in like thirteen minutes from start to finish. Wow! And that's counting. Hey, that's counting the background vocals at the same time. Wow! You know, and I, and I say all the time, I'm so thankful to good Lord above. You know, so many people go to Nashville and here and there looking, you know, to make a big song, make a career song. And, and I was so lucky and blessed. I, I, I got my career song in 13 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took, 13 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, I've got, I've got several songs that have been real good songs for me that, that I got on the first take because I pretty much knew what I wanted to do when I went in the studio. And I was, I've always been one that worked real close with the musicians, you know, and, and worked up most of my own arrangements and worked real close with the producer. And I still do with, with you know, with my producer, Dirk Johnson. Now, me and him go over everything we're doing, and, and, and he's the genius. But we both hear what we want and hear what we think we'd like, and, and we try to lay it down. And, and, you know, that's where the magic happens. Well, from a song you got done in 13 minutes to 14 Carat Mind, that was your most commercially successful song, big number one hit from... 1981. What do you remember about recording 14 Carat Mine, Gene? Well, I remember it. Uh, we recorded it in 1981 and released it. I, I knew that was a hit song. Uh, it was sent to me by Dallas Frazier, of course, who wrote it. Uh, I knew it was a hit. I didn't know whether it was a hit for me, but I knew it was a hit. We went in to record it. We tried lead guitar. We tried steel guitar. We tried fiddle. We tried everything to get that song kicked off. And finally, I got plumb upset, and Pig Robbins, of course, I wouldn't record without him on piano. And finally, I, I, I just hollered out there, Pig. I said, Pig, kick this thing off, and that's what you hear on the record. And we rolled on through there, and it was released the latter part of 81, got up to number two, and here come the Christmas holidays, and they froze the charts with yeah. my song at number two. <laughs> I was sick about it. But when the charts opened up next year, I had number one song in the nation. Yeah, but and for people who don't know, that can be a killer for records when Christmas time comes around. They freeze those charts, and then radio stations might fall out of love with the songs that they had at the top of the rotation. They might drop them out. 
fortunately, they were able to stay on yours that through the Christmas break. It, it, yes, and I was so worried about it, you know, because I didn't know what it would be when they opened the charts back up. I, and you said it just exactly right. They they may have heard something else that they liked better, and, and, and you know, all kinds of games are played. But I was fortunate. It was a. I think the song deserved to be number one. And, and, you know, whether it was me doing it or whoever was doing it, it's, I think it was a great song. So to be at number two during the Christmas break is a scary <laughs> scary time for sure. Me being number two in the nation during Christmas, I wasn't a happy camper, and I hated Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was at – me and him was all right when they opened the charts back up. <laughs> yeah, you got that good number one under your tree there. <laughs> Yeah. The next year, one of the best titles of all time. I think you're out doing what I'm here doing without. That really is, Gene, one of the best titles you can have for a song. Hard to say without messing up, but that's it, a good title. <laughs> that song was written by a boy that worked and played guitar for me by the name of Bo Roberts. Him and Alan, Alan Frizzell, excuse me. Bo had been following me around for months saying, man, you, you, you need to list this song. You need to push that, push that. And finally, he got me sit down long enough to play it for me, and I said, "Yeah, I'll go for that." We went in and and, and cut it, and uh, rest of its history. It was a, it was a great record for me. Love that song. And the last one I want to ask you about, Gene, is one that Ronnie Dunn says is permanently on his playlist, and I can see why. Got no reasons now for going home. Written by the great Johnny Russell. Oh yeah. You know, I worked so many shows with Johnny. We we, we went on tour together. We. We toured overseas and in the States and everywhere else. And man, I was on him every day that we were together, browbeating him, and you know, about writing all these hit songs for other people. Of course, he wrote Act Naturally for Buck Owens. Mm-hmm. Let's fall to pieces together for George Strait. Of course, Rednecks, White Sox, and Blue Ribbon Beard, Baptism with Jesse Taylor, and all those great songs. And, and I just I just kept on, kept on. Finally, he, he caved in and told me, he said, Well, Watson, I wrote you a song. And he said, not only just the songs that I wrote you a hit. And I thought, uh, here we go with one of those Johnny Russell stories. But he gave it to me. We cut it. And boy, sure enough, he wasn't lying. It was a big record for me. You got any other favorites from that massive catalog of yours? You know, I, find, I don't think I ever recorded a song, really, that I didn't have a story behind. But, but I, you know, I answer that. And I've been asked that question before. And I try to answer it as, you know, practical as I can. And, 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 I, and it does work for me. Wherever I'm at, wherever I'm working, the song that the people want to hear the most, you know, that we can do for them and answer a request and all that, that's the one that that works for me. You know, I mean, I love the ones that they love. And and when I'm putting all these songs together and the albums together, I'm just hoping I'm picking the kind of music that my fans expect of me. And that's something you got to worry about when you're uh, picking your set list for a show, right? You want to make those fans happy. Absolutely. i got to scatter it out and do what they want me to do. Yeah. Well, that uh, your next chance to see Gene Watson is this Saturday night in Marion at the Cultural and Civic Center. Then again, uh, if you want to make a little drive out to Branson on Monday, Gene will be playing out there as well. Gene, we can't wait to see you. We, we look forward to seeing the show, and we sure appreciate you coming on my show and, and talking to me. It's, it's been an honor to talk to you. Well, it's been my pleasure, and we're looking forward to all of our fans around Marion and and, and sure, we'd love them to come on over to Branson, too. Uh, we're going to have a big old time with Larry's Country Diner over there. And uh, it just wherever you see us, uh, you're always welcome. I guarantee you it'll be a show that, that you'll enjoy, and you can bring any member of the family you want to to it, and, and, and we're doing it for you. Gene, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure. My man, thank you for taking time to talk to me.